You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. So, kind of a lot, I guess, went on yesterday. I mean, I think it felt like a lot went on yesterday, a little bit more than maybe actually happened. The team's all back in Green Bay, which is awesome and huge news, although nothing really happened. It's not like it was a first day of practice and crazy stuff happened and I got a bunch of notes on who was awesome. It's like they got together and they were in Green Bay and they met each other and high-fived. And then they all got to comment on the article, which, you know, got a couple thoughts. Don't really want to drag it out all too much. I would say the biggest news, though, Mr. Cole Madison is back in town, which I'm still waiting to hear that that's a mistake of some kind. So I don't want to get too crazy about it, but uh, I checked again this morning. Nobody took it back. Was not at all expecting him to come back. Pretty sure I said on several occasions, he's not coming back. But um, he's back, so I guess we'll see how that goes. Not only do we have uh, two first-round picks, but we are the only team that got our first draft pick in April. So that's more or less what's on the docket. I'm assuming I don't have all that much to talk about, so we'll find some other things to uh, to work through. We'll see how it goes. In the meantime, be sure to get into the uh, Packernet Podcast Facebook group. I did do a very, very large update for NFLBigBoard.com. It's, I'm planning on it being the last update, although there might be one more update tomorrow. Um, Pro Football Focus just did a version 2 for their scouting reports and scouting grades, which is awesome because I now have Nasir Adderley on there. I was really upset that they didn't have that, so I add, I'm able to add him to my list. Um, but they also put their top 250-player big board, so I'm going to be incorporating that into it. So I'll probably do another update, I guess. So I sort of lied. Just literally within like 30 minutes of me saying, okay, no more updates. Then they were like, hey, guess what, version 2? And we got our big board. Whatever, man. But be sure to head over there because, uh, you know, it's updated and stuff iTunes, we currently have 124 reviews, meaning we need 26 more iTunes reviews, and this live stream is locked and loaded, man. As always, we can get her done today. Um, I got a question on Facebook, and before I forget, just in case I forget to respond, because it's, you know, 3.30 in the morning and I don't really want to respond right now, that seems weird, but KC uh, asked me on Facebook, how do you leave an iTunes review? The answer is, I'm not really sure. I'm assuming if you have an iPhone, it's a little bit easier. But if you don't, I kind of think you might need to download iTunes. And even then, I'm not 100% sure if that's possible. But I think if you download iTunes on your computer, find the podcast, you can leave a review. I'm not an Apple guy. I don't use Apple. I don't have iTunes on my computer. Because why would I want iTunes on my computer? I'm supposed to leave myself a review, but I'm just not going to do that. So that's my assumption. I don't know. And uh, Casey, if you're able to... uh, Sorry, I just had a flash of Casey Jones in my head from Ninja Turtles, and it was like, dude, Casey! Brought me back to my Fight in the Foot Clan days in my living room with grenades. I was five, leave me alone. It was back in the days when, like, you couldn't even hardly walk because you had, like, six guns, four grenades, and three swords, like, stuffed in your pants. It's like, I'm gonna get those Foot Clan, man! Then you decide you're gonna try a somersault with all that stuff in your pants. Whew! Bad day! But yeah, um, you know, I don't know. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view 
on all possible cards and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. If you got iTunes and you haven't left a review yet, it'd be much appreciated. Also, if you do leave a review, be sure to let me know, because again, once we get to 200 reviews, whether that's in two days or two years, I want to be sure to be able to give out a PFF subscription. Just try to uh, get us up to 200 before they jack their rates, all right? Thanks, guys. Lastly, if you have any questions, if you would like to comment on anything Packers-related, 608-501-0718, Going to get into all the hubaloo. Hullabaloo is what it is, right after a little break ski. All right, so kind of similar to my approach when the article came out, I want to sort of come at it a little bit slow. But really, it's the exact same message, it's the exact same story, just from the opposite perspective. What I said about the story was, although some of it is probably true, there's nothing really good about it. They completely just, Tyler Dunn took a grenade and threw it in the Packers locker room. Basically, the guy used to be a Packers beat writer. He went over to, what is he, like covering the Buffalo Bills now or something? So basically, he went and cashed in all his chips, is what it came down to. He's got a bunch of Packers contacts he's just not using anymore. And he said, you know what? I'm just going to take one big swipe at this. And after this, all my Packers contacts are going bye-bye, but I'm just going to cash in. So the guy swoops in, punches McCarthy and Rodgers right in the face, and books it out to Buffalo gets himself a little bit of a paycheck. But really what it was is, you know, again, some of it's probably true to a point. How bad it really is, I don't really know. It's just personality stuff, right? I was saying last year McCarthy wasn't really putting in the amount of effort that is required. He didn't have the amount of, I don't know, passion. There wasn't enough discipline. We heard David Bakhtiari talking about guys showing up late, blah, 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 blah. Rodgers maybe not being vocally... I mean, again, this is all stuff we knew already. Everything beyond that, though, what I said was this is... So it's a little bit of truth, a bunch of stuff we already knew, including the Jennings and, and all the other stories we already heard. But you take all the bad stuff over the course of 5, 10, 15 years, and you boil it down into one article where some of it is truth, a lot of it is exaggeration, and some of it is just flat-out made up, and you get that time bomb that Tyler Dunn put together. The cool thing is the exact opposite thing is happening right now, where you have players coming out, and they're doing the exact same thing Tyler Dunn did, but from the opposite. They're picking out all the positives, and Aaron Rodgers is picking out all the positives, and Jeff Janis is picking out all the positives, and James Jones and all these different guys are picking out every single positive they can think, and all those things are being boiled down into one little Twitter or Instagram couple of paragraphs. And it's kind of culminated perfectly. Interestingly enough, Ian Rappaport kind of hit it on the head. I thought it was strange when he said it, but he said this could be actually perfect for Green Bay Packers and for Rodgers and, and LaFleur um, formulating a relationship. Because I can't help but feel like, at the end of the day, that was perfectly timed. I mean, not necessarily perfectly, because you had bad stuff just hanging out there. But by the time the team came together, man, you got everybody. Everybody decided now's the time we're all going to... Which probably isn't super big coincidence, because they all came together into one team, started unloading on each other, and then launched out onto Twitter. Devontae Adams and everybody else just unloading. And it's just not a fair fight. Tyler Dunn, two guys that haven't played with Aaron Rodgers since like 2012, 2013, and a bunch of unnamed sources who don't know what they're talking about or making up a bunch of lies versus, you know, Aaron Rodgers himself, McCarthy himself, Mark Murphy himself, current players with Aaron Rodgers right now, five, six, seven, eight past players um, that played with Rodgers more recently 
than Jennings and, and Finley did. It's just not a fair fight. And I got to say, I hope it was worth it because I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be a little bit measured as much as I didn't want to go overboard with the results of that article. I also don't want to go too overboard attacking Tyler Dunn, but I'm still not super happy with what he did. I can respect what he, what, I can respect his thesis. I don't know what his actual intention was. I can't help but feel like he got a little carried away with the idea of how salacious this was going to be and how big this was going to be. Like, he didn't know he was going to be all over the national media. He didn't know Ian Rappaport was going to be talking about him. And everybody, NFL.com and everybody, you know, NFL Network was going to be bringing him on TV. And he's got this big smile from ear to ear, all proud of himself. And Bleacher Report is bragging about their writer and how great he is. And I got to be honest, I'm a little bit giddy seeing Tyler Dunn go dark for the last four days. And to see guys like Matt Miller of Bleacher Report, who I, I don't dis I mean, I used to really dislike him. I'm starting to like him a little bit more. But, you know, whatever. He's, he's a big part of Bleacher Report. But to see these guys backpedaling now, like, well, you know, it can't all be false. And now all of a sudden they're playing defense, whereas before they were parading around like, look what we did. We're so proud of ourselves. We're a great news organization. And even all the national guys getting all... I mean... It, it, all these people who came out talking about how great this was. What a oh, I've loved Tyler Dunn since forever. He was my hero. Even Packers guys, even Packers writers. I'm not going to name names, but I'll tell you what. If there's anything that's upsetting me right now, it's guys who are quote unquote journalists, most of which are just bloggers who want to consider themselves journalists. But these people get all high and mighty about journalism. And because we always have to, this is how we operate. I'm not, you know, maybe it's as Americans, maybe it's just a human thing. I have no idea. But we're so obsessed with team sports. And Tyler Dunn is my team. He's a journalist and I'm a journalist, so I have to defend everything he does. Which means up to and including defending the guy who just attacked your team, the team that you claim to love. And condescending to all these fans about, well, you don't understand how journalism works. You don't understand how unnamed sources work. Go away. You're obnoxious. Go away. Because here's here's the problem that I have. This is a hit piece. This actually does actual literal damage to people. So yes, there is a problem with unnamed sources, especially when a lot of this is just logically and verifiably false. So I don't believe that you actually did a good job of, of researching this. I think that you treated this like a National Enquirer article where you just got as many negative rumors as you could find and then claimed that your, your intention was to just find out what happened. But that's not what you did. You sought out to find out all the negative you could. You took every rumor you could. You balled it up into one giant chapter book. And then you went around and, and with a big old smile on your face did the national media circuit for, for wonderful journalism. And it wasn't journalism. It's gossip magazine garbage. Beyond that, the other problem that I have with unnamed sources is the unnamed sources themselves. Well, you understand, they can't do that. They can't ju- No, you know what they can do? They, they can be a man and go talk to Aaron Rodgers and, and McCarthy. They can be a man and go talk. There's a lot of people who are unnamed sources that people don't know who they are. Why? Because they're not manning up and going and talking to this person. They're running behind people's backs, talking to the media, trying to attack people. Attacking Mike McCarthy. Regardless of how upset I am with the way that the things went last year with Rodgers, with McCarthy, with a lot of people on this offense, a lot of the coaches, a lot of people on the defense and the coaches, at the end of the day, it's a game. And I say that even as somebody who literally does this every single day, and it, it's still always a game. And you, if you can't keep that proper context, there's something wrong with you. Mike McCarthy was fired. And I already talked about which specific part of that article really makes me sick. But to be the guy that runs behind people's backs and goes and tattles and tries to just completely destroy that guy and Aaron Rodgers, and the Green Bay Packers, and the locker room, and sabotage this team as a new staff comes in. As, as like I said, you got new players coming in. You got Adrian Amos coming in to, like, what did I just walk into? To be a guy that does that and then not put your name on it, I don't care what the rules of journalism are. You're a coward. This isn't about journalism. This is about if you don't have what it takes to go talk to somebody man-to-man, keep your mouth shut. Greg Jennings and Jermichael Finley are on the record, okay? So at least they're on the record saying it. 
And listen, I'm I'm not even that mad at Jennings because look, it's it's I, I think Aaron Rodgers said it perfectly. He he laid out, you know, you got the same two guys telling the same stories over and over and over again, and I'm the one who's petty. I'm the one who can't get over stuff. That's that's exactly correct. But at the same time, Greg Jennings is just answering the same question over and over again. You got guys that want Aaron Rodgers to be this thing that keep bringing Jennings on. And Jennings, and listen, when I listened to the Jennings thing, it wasn't as bad as a lot of people make it out to be. He says a lot of positive stuff. Go watch him on Colin Coward. He says a lot of positive stuff about Aaron Rodgers. But he was not happy about certain things. And that's okay. And again, it's it's. I don't even know that it's so much Jennings seeking people out. I think you got Colin Coward trying to... He, who believes something and is trying to prove something. He's like, well, I know I can go talk to Greg Jennings. He has some clout, and he'll talk about it. So he goes and calls Greg Jennings. Jennings comes up. He answers the questions as honestly as he can, and that's it. And then some other newspaper asks him a question, and he answers it. And somebody else asks him a question, and he answers it. And Tyler Dunn calls him up, and he's like, hey, tell me that story again. And then he answers it. He probably didn't even call him. I mean, the story was just verbatim for what he said on Colin Coward and everywhere else. Same story we've always known for a very long time. And that's fine. That's his perspective. And I think the same with Jamal. I think, I think, and that's another part of the reason I don't want to go overboard. I'm, I'm far more upset with Tyler Dunn than I am with those two guys. Because I think if you actually listen to what they say, it's not as negative as, you know, again, it kind of seems when we just boil it down to like those couple points. And if we make it seem like they're just out attacking and they, they won't stop and they won't go away. And yeah, I think it would be nice if Jennings and Jamaica would come out and be like, look, man. This got away from me. I'm just answering some questions. I'm not trying to just come out and trash the guy. I mean, people just keep asking me and I keep answering. Here's the other side of the story. Here's what happened. Now, we can be reasonable people and go see what they said and said, you know, I can find it for myself. I don't need him to come out and explain it to me like a child. But again, the the, the other side of this is that this seems to be a really good galvanizing moment. And I'll be completely honest. I don't think I've ever heard Aaron Rodgers kind of open up and be as, as bare as he was. And and be honest, the only other time I think I remember hearing him saying it was on Wilde and Tausch. And it was back on, I, I don't know, I think they were wanting to get his impression on the kneeling stuff or whatever, and he, he really kind of opened up and it was like, wow, he's, you know, he's, he's a pretty quiet guy and he keeps his answers kind of short and it's always football related. But um, it was good to hear him kind of open up about stuff. And it was just a lot of truth and it was a lot of honesty and it was, you know, I mean, it, he... I thought one of the more interesting things was when he kind of, and I just listened to the sound clips. I haven't heard the whole interview, but when he said, as Packer fans, referring to himself in that group. Now, that's one of two things in my mind. One, that's just a really, really awesome and genuine statement. Well, I, I guess it is that either way. But that's just what he, he means and what he believes and what he says. In other words, if, if and when he retires, he's in this for the long haul. And listen, there's, there's reason to believe that. I hate to get blown off course, but I just remember this. Do you remember several years ago when he said he's going to stop eating cheese and how Packer fans kind of blew up? And I I think it was kind of tongue-in-cheek. I don't think anybody was actually upset. Maybe a couple strange people were actually upset about that. But I remember, I don't know who it was, if it was Mike McCarthy or what, somebody had reported that Aaron Rodgers was legitimately... I don't know what the word, like, uh, upset about the fact that Packers fans were upset. Like, he legitimately felt bad about that. And I, I remember being surprised because, dude, who cares? Like, don't eat cheese. It's not a big, I feel bad for you, but you don't have to feel bad that, like, we like cheese and you stopped eating cheese. Like, it's fine. But, yeah, he, he, he legitimately felt bad about it. Like, he did something wrong to Packers fans. Like, dude, no, it's it's fine, man. And and let's also remember how he invested in the Bucks, let's remember how he's visited children in hospitals here in Wisconsin. How much he's invested, as far as time and money, into Wisconsin, into this community. I think sometimes he gets seen as like Mr. Hollywood, who just can't wait to get out of here. And yeah, you can also look at his other quote about why would I have resigned, and that's a very good point. If it, listen, and he even said like, "Oh, it's not just about the money, dude." I think if it was about the money, he wouldn't have resigned. I mean, granted, there's always a concern you get hurt and then you don't get your money. But he could have just ridden out this year and not signed. And when he hits free agency, he's legitimately, potentially a $40 million quarterback. I don't think there's ever been anything that would have been up to this point as crazy as Aaron Rodgers hitting the open market, ever. 
And he could have just waited it out. But he signed with Mike McCarthy still on the roster. He didn't have to do that. I mean, just based on how much the salary cap goes up every year, I, and then just in, in general, teams are going to pay more. You're going to make a lot more than he got with the Green Bay Packers. He didn't have to resign, but he chose to. He chose to stay here in Wisconsin, to stay you know close to the Bucks, close to Green Bay, close to his teammates. And yeah, he re-signed with the team that is coached by Mike McCarthy. But anyways, getting back to what I was saying, I, th- I thought one of the most interesting things was that us as Packer fans thing, when he's talking about Mike McCarthy and how we need to remember that he's a part of this community and what he did for us, if he just means that by itself, that's awesome, and it tells us everything we need to know about him and his character. The other thing I thought is maybe this is him just kind of saying it because he's trying to relate to us and get us to just stop doing what we're doing. You know what that's called? That's called being a leader, right? He says the exact right thing in the right way at the right time to get a desired result. I want Wisconsinites, Packer fans, to not look at Mike McCarthy negatively, as some people are doing, because of the article Tyler Dunn put out. His concern was for Mike McCarthy. And again, even if you want to say it's all a lie, fine, guess what? That's leadership. I don't believe it, but I know what the desired result needs to be, and I know what needs to be said in this moment to get that desired result. Yeah, it's got kind of a used car salesman sting to it, but that's what leadership is. And again, both things can be true at the same time. He believes it, and he said it to get what he wants. Right? I mean, it's po- it could be possible that everything is true, and he doesn't like Mike McCarthy, and all you know, all make it as negative as you want about that moment. He's lying. He's making it up. He doesn't care about Wisconsin. He doesn't care about Mike McCarthy. But guess what? What is the end result of that? Still a positive result, isn't it? That's the kind of person that you want to be the quarterback of your football team. If that's what a non-vocal leader looks like, I'll take that any day of the week. The only thing I can really hope is that this energy carries on. And I think it will. I, I, I think one of the awesome... I remember thinking about it with when all this stuff was going on with Pittsburgh. And I remember thinking, man... I think the best thing that they can do right now is to embrace the us-against-the-world mentality, right? Your, your coach isn't a leader. Your coach is this and that, and Juju Smith-Schuster isn't A-B, and Connor will never be uh, Le'Veon Bell, and these guys are a joke. And this, I, If I'm the coach, if I'm Mike Tomlin, I'm going in there, and I'm embracing what up, dance party. Time to get down. I'm embracing the us-against-the-world mentality. Now, that's going to be kind of tough with LaFleur, but... I don't think it's the worst thing in the world, especially with Aaron Rodgers and his ability to carry a chip on his shoulder. I think if there was a football game that was going on yesterday, we win the Super Bowl, right? If you can condense an entire season into a game, Rodgers just got 50 touchdowns. He's ready to go. And it's listen, it's perfect because this is the perfect energy that you want and focus that you want going into this brand new season. It's it's a new energy. It's a new outlook. It's a, re- a renewed you know, it's it's the kind of thing that brings people together, right? Everybody from the outside is against us. It just pushes everybody closer together. There was stuff in that article talking about, you know, Aaron Rodgers. There was stuff talking about the wide receivers. There was stuff talking about, um, you know, Mike Daniels. If they were able to take that and turn something positive out of that massive hit piece from Tyler Dunn, that's, that's beyond awesome. And you look at, you know, Kevin King. And again, who knows? But Kevin King throws it up on Twitter, something about, you know, now let me look it up. He said, the vibe at Lambeau today was really something special. That's a good thing, man. This was Matt LaFleur's first opportunity to come in and make an impression. And it's very possible that he could have just completely bombed. I don't think he's exactly the the most eloquent speaker, (laughs) to be completely honest. And not like Mike really was either, but it just... You know, he's so soft-spoken, and sometimes it seems like it takes him half a second longer than you would expect to get a sentence out. But, you know, he's, he's been working on it, the right thing to say to these guys, and, you know, whatever it was, it culminated into the team seemingly coming together and guys like Kevin King saying this was special. So good. There's reason to be optimistic. The question is, were they able to, was was LaFleur and this staff able to relay that excitement to the team? And again, I just hope that it can carry on. That's the biggest thing. 
Can they carry on that feeling and that message into the regular season? Because, as I said all of last year, I don't think the problem with the Packers is as much a roster issue as it is a locker room issue. The talent on the roster wins a lot more games than this team won last year. It just was a dysfunctional family. Whether you want to just call it locker room or scheme or whatever, things as they are, just with a couple tweaks, this team can be a 10-win football team, I think, just as it is. As a team that doesn't really have tight ends, a great offensive line, safeties, whatever. Now, if you're able to galvanize this locker room and really bring it together, that's going to do leaps and bounds. If you're able to fix the offense to help Aaron Rodgers, to, to bring to life the run game, to help the young receivers who at the same time are taking a second year leap, how much does that help? Mike Pettin in his second year as guys start to understand the system. Again, everybody takes a leap, but how many teams are as young as the Green Bay Packers? How many teams have desperate needs at the exact positions where guys are about to take their second year leap? We got guys like Jair and Josh Jackson. How, how, how incredible is it going to be if those guys take a leap? The, the, the young wide receivers, Jamon, Equinemius, and Marquez, if these guys take a step and all of a sudden we have a wide receiver room that's, you know, above adequate, how much does that help? You know, what if LaFleur is able to get more out of our tight ends, which I would assume he'd have to, because again, I don't necessarily think, I mean, clearly some of these guys are in a de- pretty steep decline, but that was just a flat-out drop-off. And again, a lot of it was just looking like, a, I'm picturing... Jimmy Graham, and it was just a lack of effort, man. Simple stuff that he should be able to do, even in his older age, even as his body isn't quite as athletic as it was. I mean, come on, man. You can't catch a football. It's going to go through your hands and hit you in the chest. That's not an age thing. That's an effort thing. That's a focus thing. That's a concentration thing. Something's just not working. But you use the scheme to your advantage. You, You help Aaron Rodgers by scheming people open as opposed to McCarthy telling guys just... We're going to run these routes, and your job is to just get open. And, and you know, again, one of the things that, that kind of came out that I think was somewhat known, it was similar to what happened with Dom Capers, where people just knew what Dom Capers was going to do, and you could beat it. Apparently, not surprisingly, people knew what Mike McCarthy was going to do. You had defenses calling it out. You're just not going to win with that. So, again, every team and every fan base expects to get better, and most of them probably do. But what I'm saying is what I've been saying, that the Packers have more opportunity and expectation, should have more expectation to get better than a lot of other teams. New coach, a lot of young players at key positions, big upgrades in free agency that a lot of other teams aren't able to do and didn't do, right? Pass rusher, maybe the second most important position in all of football. We got two pass rushers, which was a massive upgrade over our last two pass rushers. It's not like we just went out and got a couple of average guys who were replacing a couple of average guys that left. These are pretty big upgrades. Are they elite pass rushers? No. Are they a lot better at getting pressure on the quarterback than the guys we had? Yes. On top of that, Gutekunst, again, with his second year, a full year with his staff, which he did not have last year, a, a new addition, a very, very big addition, a guy that they've been trying to get for, for a while, at least over a year, uh, Milt Hendrickson or whatever his name is from Baltimore, getting him over here, another really big college guy. A guy that helped build that Baltimore defense coming over here to help with the draft process. And let's not forget, we have maybe the, what is it, the third most draft capital of any team in the NFL right now. Two first-round picks and, you know, a second, a third, two-fourths, a fifth, two-sixths, and a seventh. It feels like we're kind of walking a razor-thin line, but if we can walk it, this can be a very dominant team. I'm not just going to say it outright that this will be a dominant team, but it just seems like if all the chips fall right, there's no reason to believe that this isn't turned around just like that. I, I, why can't it? But again, the, the biggest thing, the two biggest things that I've said is the coaches, specifically LaFleur, getting this thing right. Because if he comes in and he tries to orchestrate an offense and it's just not working... And he's not able to cultivate relationships with especially Rodgers, but anybody, especially the, the locker room. That's on LaFleur, managing people, managing the offense. That's going to be his job. If that doesn't work, we're in trouble. So far, so good. 
This is just a tiny glimmer of what's coming, but so far the team seems to be buying in. They seem to be real excited, and as far as fixing that locker room, this is a pretty good start. The other thing is, is Brian Gutekunst has to help this team, and again, pretty good start. Adrian Amos, super excited about that. The two guys that we have on the outside, again, not elite, but a lot better. If he can hit this, this, um, if he can hit this draft out of the park, and I, listen, he doesn't even have to necessarily hit it out of the park. He just has to do a good job. And I, I, without being negative, because again, it takes maybe three years to really understand what's going on. So I don't know how good of a draft the last draft class was. We got to see what happens with Josh Jackson. We got to see what happens with Oren Burks. We got to see what ultimately happens with these wide receivers and with Jair. He could potentially regress, although that's very, very unlikely. I went back and looked at um, like PFF grades of draft picks for the Packers over the last several years. Almost every single one increases by a certain percentage in the second year. Literally almost every single draft pick gets better in the, the next several years. And some of them don't make it on the team because they go from terrible to slightly less terrible to bad, and then they get cut. But guys do grow. Guys do get better. So there is an expectation. The question is, are they going to jump leaps and bounds, especially you look at linebackers? I'm, Jake Ryan in his first year was a joke. Blake Martinez in his first year was horrible. Both of those guys took real big steps. See what happens with Oren Burks. Maybe he takes a big step. So we got to see, but it would be nice to have a little bit more immediate impact from our guys, especially with our two first-round picks, if we can get some big impact at key positions. You know, with, you know safety would be real nice. Um, you know, offensive line, maybe. I don't really know, especially instant impact. Maybe we've already got that set. That might end up being sort of a future thing. I, I don't like to think of it being set. Because I would assume if we can get a guy in the first or second round that he would end up starting. But, um, you know, linebacker, whatever, right? It, it, it doesn't matter. Wide receiver, running back, I don't care what it is. If he's a stud and ends up being the best at that position, with the exception of wide receiver, I'd be pretty stunned if he's better than Devontae. But whatever the position is, just impact. Impact. It can be a corner. If, if it's a third-round corner... That is the second, you know, that, that ends up being right there next to Jair. I could not care any less. Just get good players that come out and win the job and play really, really well. But again, so far so good. Gutekunst and Lafleur are the biggest keys to this whole thing. Not Aaron Rodgers, not his ability to be coachable and the baloney. Right now, and listen, I've, I've already said it, it might be a little bit more volatile because he like, and by the way, he's not unique. Peyton Manning put up with zero garbage. Tom Brady would put up with zero garbage if if if, uh, if Bill Belichick was not putting in the work and a bunch of coaches didn't care and a bunch of players weren't putting in the work. I promise you, Tom Brady would be the biggest you-know-what on the planet. He puts up with zero nonsense. Elite, high-capability players who have been in the league for a very long time who just want to win are never going to put up with nonsense, whether it's a quarterback, a wide receiver, whatever. You can call him a diva. You can call him a leader. I don't care what you want to call him. That's just the way it is. And I think to a point, that's the way it should be. Does Aaron Rodgers maybe need to refine how he goes about it? Probably, right? He already came out and said if he had you know, one regret or whatever, what would it be? He said he wouldn't have come out and said what he said after the game on Buffalo is his one regret. right? He came out after a, a, a win in which we shut the team out, and he pretty much threw McCarthy under the bus. He said he regrets that. Okay, lesson learned. I think we have all acknowledged he's not perfect at this point. We all hopefully have also acknowledged that he gets a lot of undue garbage. And listen, it is unfair, and I think as Packer fans, we do have a right to be upset. As much as I've come along talking to Packer fans, trying to say, listen, let's not get too crazy and say act like he's perfect. Because, you know, the pendulum swings too far in both directions. My podcast talks to Packer fans, so I tend to almost sound like I'm taking the side of, of the anti rogers people being like, look, maybe a little bit is true. Let's not get too carried away. But I think we do have a right to be upset because nobody gets attacked like Aaron Rodgers does. Nobody. And it's completely unfair. And I don't want this to be like another Brett Favre thing. I remember growing up in Illinois as a Packers fan. I had several Bears fans that would not talk ill of, Aaron, or of Brett Favre because he was untouchable. I mean, literally, you'd have people come in and, like, you know, you make fun of the Packers. Ah, Packers are terrible. And, of course, it would be funny because literally the Packers never lost throughout my entire childhood to the Bears. I mean, almost literally, not exactly literally. But, I mean, it was it was very close to literal. 
But you'd have somebody come up and be like, Brett Favre is a bum. And literally you'd have other kids in elementary school who don't know how to do anything but tease would step in and be like, dude, a little bit too far there. Brett Favre is like the greatest of all time. Because I think we forget that was in the conversation at that time. Like he might be one of the greatest ever. But it kind of just fell apart at the end. And he became a, a national media circus. And I think some of us, myself included, fed that. Maybe it's time to circle the wagons around our guys. Maybe it's time for us to even if we have some concerns, to circle the wagons and defend our quarterback, defend Mike McCarthy, defend our guys. Because you got a bunch of Cowboys fans, like, uh, who's that loser? Oh, Skip Bayless. I, I already saw on Twitter, oh, I can't wait to, to talk about Aaron Rodgers tomorrow. Th- these guys can't get enough. There's a lot of money and a lot of attention in trashing Aaron Rodgers right now and sounding like you're real smart and like you know something and talk about all the things that I've heard in the industry really support that. You haven't heard nothing. I don't want this to happen again. I don't want this to be the end of of Rodgers' career, him being the laughingstock and everybody forgetting all the... Everybody forgetting how at one point people were saying that he was the greatest of all time and over the last several years all people remember is him being a diva and all this drama and stuff that's just made up to begin with. No, that's not going to happen. A bunch of people are lying about the Green Bay Packers, are trying to hurt, in a very real way, Coach McCarthy, who gave us a lot... You know, like a Super Bowl. You know, some of the greatest offenses over the last 10 years were Mike McCarthy offenses. And and listen, a couple of bad drafts. You know, Mike McCarthy got a little bit stale. A couple arguments. And yeah, the, the team started not having winning seasons. And, and oh my goodness, didn't make the playoffs. And now the, the, the Sharks are circling just trying to take a piece. The national media for years has been talking up the Packers and how great they are, how, how wonderful they are, and now they have an opportunity to, to take the lead on, well, I've never, like, I've always said, blah, 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 I've seen this coming. Everybody just wants to jump in and sound smart. Look, if you guys haven't learned your lesson from Tyler Dunn, who's currently right now curled up in the fetal position, just getting kicked over and over and over again, virtually speaking, He's getting beat real bad. If you want to jump on that bandwagon, you want to be the one that keeps running his mouth about Aaron Rodgers having a problem, you want to run into the room in which people are just, you know, sitting in a circle just kicking people, you want to jump in the middle of the circle, the old kicking circle, go ahead. Because you should know better than anybody, as somebody who, apparently, you know, Stephen A. Smith excluded, who I don't even think watches football, but you guys who supposedly watch football all day every day, don't know what happens when Aaron Rodgers gets mad and you're going to be the ones that want to talk trash about him? Okay, keep running your mouths. That's fine. Because not only is the fan base going to rally behind the Packers at this point, the team is rallying around Aaron Rodgers. Devontae Adams and a lot of these other guys are circling the wagons around Aaron Rodgers. And right now, it is us against the world. And you guys have created that. And no, I'm not going to give you the credit. I'm not going to give Colin Coward the credit. I'm not going to give Skip Bayless the credit. I'm certainly not going to give Tyler Dunn the credit because they tried to attack and destroy and take out at the knees the Green Bay Packers, and they lost in spectacular fashion. You get no credit for that. I hope it was worth it. I hope the uh, the, the 48-hour media circus would be inhaled as this great journalist, which give me a... Well, I guess by today's standards, that's that's decent journalism. But that, I mean, that was just trash. It was complete garbage. And again, my advice to any of you out there who are wannabe journalists, whether you got your little blue check mark or not, do not circle the wagons around Tyler Dunn. Stop it. I'm so tired. I mean, to be completely honest, it's funny because... When Tyler Dunn was the man and everybody loved him, oh, did the Packers journalists and bloggers circle around him. They, could, they, they just wanted to get a piece, man. Kiss the ring. I've always loved him. He's the greatest. Suddenly, I'm not being lectured about journalism very much now that Tyler Dunn is getting his teeth kicked in, although there are one or two who are still out there trying to defend him. Well, it can't all be untrue. Yeah, you're, 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 you're missing the point, and I think you're doing it on purpose. I tend to think, although I'm not a journalist, feel free to continue condescending to me, but I tend to think if the point of this was to get an honest scope of what's going on with the Green Bay Packers, 
you have to hear a rumor and corroborate it. And the fact of the matter is, if you take any one of these rumors and reach out to all these people who have said positive things, reach out to Rogers, reach out to Devante, reach out to any of these guys, reach out to Janice, who's now come out and said that a lot of this is a bunch of BS. Go corroborate it with them and then come back and tell me what the truth is. Because I thought the point of this is to get to the truth of what really happened. And the fact of the matter is you don't have an article anymore if you try to get to the truth instead of just a gossip column. It's all gossip garbage. And you want to you sit around and hail this as journalism. As a supposed journalist, you see this as journalism? Maybe that's kind of the problem. The fact that a bunch of wannabe sports writers can't see the difference between actual journalism and the National Enquirer doesn't speak very highly of a lot of these wannabe journalists. Because that's what the National Enquirer does. They do get a lot of true information, believe it or not. They spend millions of dollars to get people to tell them stuff. They get some juicy stuff. The, the problem is, how do they pay for people to actually tell them what's going on but still just get a bunch of stuff wrong? Because they get somebody to tell them something. They're not just making stuff up. Just like Tyler Dunn, they're not making it up. They're literally shelling out millions and millions of dollars. The problem is, unlike journalists, they don't actually worry about what the truth is. They get that juicy rumor with whatever information they can get about it, and they run with it. And they make it as salacious as possible. That's what Tyler Dunn did. So if the National Enquirer is now journalism, then I guess I stand corrected, and what Tyler Dunn did is the peak of journalism. One of the greatest. I've always thought he was one of the greatest, folks. I've always been blah, blah, blah. It was trash. Plain and simple. Anyways, I did not want to spend that much time on it. I, uh, I don't think I said anything new, so I apologize for repeating myself. But you know what? Sometimes i got to get stuff off my chest, man. All right, we're going to take a little bit of a break, and then um, I want to talk a little bit about Mr. Cole Madison, who is back in town. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. So really cool bit of news, Mr. Cole Madison is back. Now, what I wanted to do was try to f- dig up as much information as I could to try to figure out what we know about Cole Madison. Not about what happened last year. You all know what happened last year. Very, very unfortunate. Hopefully everything's good now. But I'm talking about kind of relearning about our draft pick from last year, and I guess in a way, our draft pick this year. So I want to start with the really juicy, awesome stuff first, because I'm going to end up kind of walking it back a little bit uh, after that. But what I did, the, one of the cool things about having my little chart here in which I, um, you know, I grade each of these prospects. By the way, if you didn't see, I updated my list. Um, I've got, I want to say like 250-ish prospects now, all with grades. And again, it's not just grades because, you know, you might look at it and say, well, how do you know how to grade, blah, blah, blah. And I'll admit, I don't even necessarily agree with this, this list on certain things. And I'll get to that if we have time, which maybe we don't. But the other cool thing to remember is there's a lot of statistics and PFF grades on this. So if you'd like to get a look at my positional rankings, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. Link is in the description. A buck a month and you can get all of this. And I'm just going to keep adding to this list. We're going to have, I mean, a lot, a lot of prospects. But anyways, all I did is I added Cole Madison out of Washington State to my list of guards. Now, he was a tackle. So I I will kind of compare him to tackles in a little bit. But he's going to be playing guard, so I compared him to a lot of guards. Out of this list, and I've got 18 guards currently, Cole Madison would be 7th this year. So on my list, here's how it would go. Chris Lindstrom, number 1. Bo Benshaw, number 2. Cody Ford, Alex Bars, Hjalt Frolt, Yalta Froholt. That's the American and the fun way to say it. Ryan Bates out of Penn State, and then Cole Madison out of Washington State. Now, if you want to hear the good news, here's the really, 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 really good news. There is only one guy in all of college football this year, guard, that had an elite pass blocking grade on PFF this year, and that is Chris Lindstrom. He had a 90.4 pass blocking grade. The next highest was an 88.9. So pretty big difference, right? I mean, if you just look at after the... 
88.9, 88.6, 88.6. So again, you can kind of see everybody's kind of bunched together, kind of close. And then there's a big jump, 88.6, 88.6, 88.9, 90.4. Pretty big jump. Do you know what Cole Madison's pass grade was? So again, 88 to 90, Cole Madison's pass blocking grade was 93.1. I, I'm just, first of all, about as perfect of a pass blocking grade as you can get. Secondly, we're talking, I mean, miles above Chris Lindstrom as a pass blocker. The difference between 90 and 93, pretty massive. Now, obviously, you can deduce that there's a couple negatives in there because Cole Madison, especially since that pass blocking grade is weighted heavier than anything else, there must have been a couple negatives in there, and there are, and we'll get to that. But let's look at tackles real quick. Of all the tackles, and I've got uh, 21 tackles right now, there is two guys with elite grades, Andre Dillard and Dalton Reisner. Andre Dillard has a 94 pass blocking grade. In other words, of all the guards and all the tackles in all of college football coming out into the draft, if you put Cole Madison in this list, Cole Madison is number two behind only Andre Dillard with his, as far as his pass blocking grade. That's pretty significant. Now that's the good news. <laughs> Couple not so great things. Pass blocking efficiency. I don't exactly know how you can have an elite pass blocking grade and low pass blocking efficiency, but he is tied for dead last among guards with only Lester Cotton at 97.7, which seems really high, but, um, you know, six of these guys have 99 point something. Almost everybody else has 98 point something. Two have 97.8. Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot Ryan Bates. Ryan Bates has 97.6. So Cole Madison would be tied for second lowest. So again, I don't know how those two things come together, but apparently that's the way it works. Now, some more positive news as far as run blocking. And this is one of the things he gets knocked for is not having a huge amount of power, but he's an athletic guy. He can get out in space, using him in the screen game, a lot of positive stuff going on there. Third highest run blocker of anybody. Bo Benchowell out of Wisconsin, Michael Dieter out of Wisconsin are the top two. Then would be Cole Madison. So that's awesome. If you look at his run success percentage, which again is in the run game, what percentage of the time was the run successful? In other words, it didn't get blown up as a result of you. 93.6, third highest. Nate Herbig out of Stanford, who is just a gigantic bulldozer. Uh, Trayvon Tate out of Memphis, and then Cole Madison. Relative athletic score, though, was pretty low, which is surprising considering he's seen as an athletic kind of guy. But those are the two things that kind of killed him. But And remember, he's still rated pretty high. But pass blocking efficiency was graded or weighted pretty heavily, and he's nearly dead last. Relative athletic score is actually pretty low. Third lowest of any of the guards at 4.59. Only Lester Cotton with 3.94 and Nate Herbig at 2.74 were lower. But again, one of the best, as far as, as, as grades go, there's no question that he was graded out as, as far as pass blocking and run blocking. If you just look at pro football focus grades in a vacuum, best guard in the whole draft class. Now, why would he be a fifth-round pick if that was the case? Well, again, a couple other factors to throw in there. But I think one of the biggest things is, first of all, it's really hard. If you look at all the scouting reports and everything, everybody scouts him as a tackle, right? They list all of his limitations, and they say, this is where he's good, this is where he's bad, and also, maybe he'll go to guard. It's like, well, okay, well, tell me what he is as a guard. Well, they don't know because he didn't play guard. The other thing that's really tough, and I, I've mentioned this several times about Cole Madison uh, when I talked to Chris Landry about him, and you can probably go back and dig up, um, I don't know, I'll, I'll, I'll try to see if I can go back and find that episode and, and maybe republish it or whatever. But I did an interview about all of our draft picks, and Cole Madison obviously was one of them. I actually kind of want to go back and listen to it now. But the one thing that stood out is I was like, okay, so, I mean, the guy's a really good pass blocker, and um, he plays for Washington State. Washington State just throws the ball like 9,000 times in a game. Clearly, the guy's got to be pretty good, right? And he's, he basically just flat out said, no, <laughs> that's not what that means. He said, this is not a, a, an, an NFL offense. The way that they operate, and again, this is kind of the, the real big negative, the reason more than likely why his pass blocking grade is so high is because what Washington State does, their offense is built around get the ball out quickly. The opportunity to get a sack on a Washington State quarterback like Luke Falk is actually relatively low if the offense is working. 
which by the way, the one time I, wa- I went last night and watched a Cole Madison game and he got sacked like four times, so whatever. But the whole point is to just get the ball out as quick as possible. So in other words, what we actually know about Cole Madison is very, very limited because there's a massive amount of variables. What does he look like moving from tackle to guard? What does he look like going from college to the pros? What does he look like going from a Washington State offense to a Packers offense? Not to mention, it's not a Mike McCarthy offense anymore. It's a Matt LaFleur. There's just so many crazy variables it's just impossible to put an expectation on this. So unfortunately, after digging as much as I possibly can to look at all his grades, to look at all his stats, to look at all the, you know, read like five different scouting reports, to go back and watch two of his games, the conclusion I came to is what we've kind of already known from the start, and that is we basically just got a fifth-round guy who's going to come in and compete, and hopefully he can do some stuff. Um, You know, again, I don't necessarily see it, because his, his relative athletic score is kind of low, but it, surprisingly what's said about him is he's a very athletic guy who kind of doesn't really anchor very well, meaning like a bull rush and stuff could kind of hurt him. But if all that's true about him being somewhat athletic, being good in space, I, I think he could be kind of a perfect fit for what Matt LaFleur wants to do. But again, I don't know. we got to see what Billy Turner can do, but outside of that, if, if you know, I think he's got a good shot at winning the job. We got to see who else we end up drafting too, and I, I kind of hope that this doesn't act as a deterrent. Like, well, we got Billy Turner, and obviously he's going to be a stud, which I don't know about that. And we got Cole Madison back, so that's great. Well, he's a fifth-round pick. I mean, I don't know that we have any good guards on the team yet. It's kind of becoming like a wide receiver situation where it's like, well, I don't want to draft too many more wide receivers because we just we're kind of stacked, and how many wide receivers are we going to bring on? Same with guard, where it's like, well, we've got Taylor and McRae and and Turner and Madison. Yeah, but I don't literally don't know if any of those guys are good. Like, I don't know about one of them. It's, it's almost like an Andy Dalton situation where, you know, it's not dire enough where you have to replace him so you can kind of get comfortable, but you probably shouldn't, and you should probably step up and, and try to replace them. I don't know. We'll see what happens, but I'm, I'm very, very glad. If, if for nothing else, I'm glad for him, because apparently, seemingly, what he was going through, he was able to work through. And not only did he work through it, you know, up until now, I mean, he had to have been, you know, working out and, and working with certain people to try to get back into football shape. And I'm assuming he didn't just blindside the Packers, right? He, he, he made a conscious effort some time ago to really work to try to get back into shape and, and be ready for, for football. And uh, hopefully he can stick it out. Hopefully he can make the team. I mean, you can't look at the guy and not think about Josh Sitton. It'd be nice to have that long-haired, kind of built-like-a-boulder-looking guy over on the left side again. I wouldn't hate that so much. It'd be actually kind of cool if, if we had uh, Cole Madison on the left side, Billy Turner on the right side. I, I don't know. I, I'm starting to feel bad. I keep talking so much trash about Lane Taylor. I don't mean to. He's okay. Just saying. I don't know. Anyways, I, I watched some running backs yesterday, and I wanted to maybe talk about it a little bit, but I'll have to save that because uh, I think we're just about out of time. But anyways, you folks, enjoy your Tuesday. It's the worst day of the week. Have a good one. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye.